Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we start today's episode, just a few words from our sponsors. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football, as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And finally, I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. He's been taking a new product he owes the credit to, Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH-balancing alkaline supplement drink. Of course, as an aging athlete, I understand the importance it is to be taking things that will help you recover faster. Head to balance7.com and use the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, for free shipping. Once again, that's balance7.com and use the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, for free shipping. If it worked for him, it can work for you, too. Welcome to the podcast, Three Sides, with me, Aaron McLeod, where we will talk about all things that fall under the umbrellas of high performance, passion, and equality. So last session, we, we talked a lot about, I mean, you told me all the benefits of mindfulness, how it's affected you. You talked about body awareness, being more efficient, uh, dealing with attachment, where you're more objective, self-compassion, all these incredible things, which I think lead to, you know, today's conversation. You have sent me a few photos of you like in your prime as a kid. And I say prime because I have a few where I've got a mullet and I've got this mean look on my face. Like I know who I am and I don't care what anybody thinks. So I want you to describe um, your authentic self when you're a kid, because I feel like there's a moment when you're a kid, you're like really owning it. So what is, what was that for you? Oh my gosh. I can think of like so many snapshots in my <laughs> head. Um, when I was like four or five, I had this Superman t-shirt and it was a hand-me-down from someone else because my family wasn't all about t-shirts. And so I'd gotten this hand-me-down. And I think I wore that thing like as, you know, as often as I could. Right. And I felt like anytime I wore that shirt, I just felt like, yes, I'm me, you know? So anytime in the Superman shirt. Right. And then I think, uh, the, the most recent picture I sent you was actually seventh grade and I had like spiked hair. Yeah. yeah I had yeah. spiked hair. I had um, a nice mullet that was like to the base of my neck. And I had on this red striped like button up shirt and uh, it's red and white stripes. And I just loved it. And uh, so I feel like 
the smile on my face is like the most genuine thing because the little side note on the haircut is that uh, my mom and I always fought over hair and clothes because she was much more, you know, the traditional feminine dresses, cooking, sewing, and, and an amazing lady, but just not, you know, not me. And uh, so we would battle. And so finally, you know, I wanted this haircut. And so finally she said, okay, but you have to pay for it. So I actually would like mow lawn uh, to pay for my haircuts. And ironically, the lady that cut my hair, you know, at the salon, she found out about this. And I think she kind of felt bad that I was having to like mow lawn to do it. So she actually was like, well, do you want to mow my lawn? So it was like, it ended up being almost this trade you know, like I'd mow her lawn for the hair. Oh my God, that's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't care. I mean, I would mow a thousand lawns to be able to have the haircut that I wanted and feel like right, myself. Right, 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 right. Right? So, yeah, you can tell. If you look through my photo albums as a kid, you can tell when I'm just like owning it. And if I'm owning it, it's usually because I'm in a t-shirt, you know, and I'm in the sports world or I'm outdoor camping, whatever. And then you can see the other pictures where I'm wearing what my mom wanted me to wear. And I'm like, just have like that, like half horse smile on, right? That you're like, I'm surviving this. <laughs> oh my God. We should like literally go through photo albums. I was the same. I remember so many times I like had this deal with my mom for all the like big uh, holidays that if I had to wear a dress, I was allowed to wear like, I think at the time they were like my Reebok high tops, you know, it was like the trade-off and single-handedly like ruined every like holiday photo now that I look back. But I was like, yeah, I was just trying to be my authentic self and uh, I just remember it was so funny. So many times I would be, she'd be putting me in that traditional feminine outfit and my sisters would be like pointing and laughing at me and I'm bawling my eyes out. So many scars from that time in my life. But, um, okay. So I think it's, I think it's fair to say though, when I, when I look at those photos, I'm like, I was me, I was authentically myself. And then at one point that started, whether it's society or outside pressures started to have a real impact. And, and I shifted away from that. Did that happen to you? What happened from, you know, being your authentic self and what changed? Yeah. So I think like it was, I don't know, from the time I was a little kid, you know, I knew I was different uh, from, from you know, the, the quote unquote normal girl, mm-hmm. right? But I didn't really care. And I just, you know, survived the moments of having to wear a dress and getting my hair curled. And then when I could be myself, I just was, you know? But then I think, yeah, as you start getting into um, high school, I still think I did so many things that were authentically me, but you start to kind of question a little bit your place in society, you know? You start to kind of question like, okay, you know, like for my parents, it was really about when you're on the sports field, essentially they didn't, they didn't verbalize this, but this is how the actions were. When you're on, when you're playing sports, you know, like basically that's your time to be yourself. And, but then when you're in regular society, this is the role you need to play. And, you know, I think I boxed at it, but I also battled it because I think at that point, you know, go from, from uh, high school and even into college, you kind of start to question like, well, is that really the way it is? You know, like, and again, like anytime I'm with my team or when I was like, you know, playing, I played all kinds of sports growing up and in college, just soccer, but like, you feel like, yes, I can be me. But then there's this, you see the expectation in other places. And you also, um, you also experience success when you, you know, meet a certain mold, you know what I'm saying? Like in the classroom or in whatever, you know, if you, if you don't wear your Reebok high tops to a wedding, you're a little more accepted. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. 
so it's like you almost kind of start to say like, okay, well, if I want to be successful in the world, I almost kind of have to play this game. And so I think that I almost um, altered my perception of the real me. And so like, I kind of was like, okay, I can be my real me with like the people I'm close to in life. And I can just be a version of me in these others. Like I'm still going to have my funky hair. I'm still going to like, like you said, you know, with an outfit, I'm going to have something that's me. Right. Like it doesn't go away completely. But I think that, you know, to be honest, like I grew up in a, a you know, a religious home and I'm a, a person of faith, but I wouldn't consider myself religious, but I grew up in a religious home. And that was a really big factor in these gender roles. And I think was a struggle for me as well, being a person of faith and wrestling with what is religion and what is actually like me being able to just live my life you know so i think that was a massive factor in my wrestle for so many years of like you know wanting to you know quote unquote be a good person i guess and like what is being actually getting to be me authentically me and there's i think a lot of people wrestle you know with that throughout life. And I know you've talked about that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we also kind of sometimes make the assumption that as we become adults, we just become closer to our authentic self, which isn't always necessarily true. You know, like sometimes people just never, it's either, I don't know if, if they're afraid to express their, them real selves or if they are in an environment where perhaps they can't like, you know, and, and you've taught at um, a religious school for a while or university and do you still do you still feel those pressures? Have you felt those pressures? Has it changed that much since you were a kid? Yeah, no, I think I think that what has changed is I think that the the college students coming in, I think that their view of gender roles is significantly different than when I was a kid, right? You know, so I think that that is freeing for them because it's much more common to have you know non-traditional, you know, gender roles. But yet I think that um, at the school that I've been at, there still is this pressure to kind of, you know, for the students and even for the faculty to kind of be a certain way, you know, and like be yourself as long as it's kind of in, in these parameters. And that's something that I've battled as far as one, you know, having real and authentic uh, conversations with students, but yet they feel this pressure of like, well, since we're in this environment, maybe I can't be completely honest with you. You know, and that's been something that is a huge challenge or even for me feeling like, okay, like I have to be a little more aware of maybe how I word something or I know that when I'm in this environment, there's an expectation of this. So I will just kind of shut up and wait for it to be over, you know, and that's something that's been um, a battle and something that has been a wrestle as far as helping other students not feel that, who, who feel that in that environment and helping to be a safe space for them to talk to. Um, I mean, you've, you've been a coach at the collegiate level for over 20 years, you're a professor, like how do you open that door? Like how, how would a student or a player know that it's a safe space? You know what I mean? Like how do you engage in that conversation? How do you make it like for our viewers who are coaches or teachers or, or whatever, or even teammates? Like, I know this is something that comes up a lot right now. I mean, it's, it's pride month and there's a lot of um, athletes who are just want to be their authentic self from a sexual orientation standpoint. And so how do you bridge that gap? How do you make it known that it's a safe space without being, you know, like too much in someone's face about it? 
Right. Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, people look at me and, you know, I fit the LGBTQ uh, bill. So I think looking at that, they often think that would probably be a safe person to talk okay, to you about okay, this. Okay. Um, but I think also like in my, my language in with the, um, you know, with my team and with, uh, you know, in the classroom, it's also just uh, vocabulary. Right. So talking about, you know, not not making the gender role assumptions, not saying like, oh, talking to, you know, uh, about a male and saying your girlfriend. Right? It's not it's like basically just the basics of talking about, um, you know, someone's, you know, someone you're interested in versus putting a gender in there. Right. So I think that kind of stuff or not making assumptions of like, oh, do you have a girlfriend or do you have a boyfriend? You know, not making gender assumptions. Um, and I think like those people that are wanting to have those conversations are listening for those cues. And so I think also just, again, in the conversations or examples, using a variety of examples, not just using gender norm examples, right? Right. Um, quote unquote, gender norms, right? When we're talking about that or quote unquote, you know, heterosexual norms that are so often assumed in, especially in those more religious type environments. So students that are wanting to have those conversations are listening for these words and they're listening for that. So hearing that, um, I think is, is a big cue that's like, oh, this person's someone that I could actually talk to about this. And just generally like trying to care for people, making them feel like cared for and valued and creating that trust so that they feel like they can have that conversation with you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny because um, I remember when I came out a million years ago, um, I, I came out because I just my hope was like eventually like people wouldn't have to come out and they would love who they want and they would love themselves and it wouldn't really matter but um kind of as a result I got labeled as this like you know super gay athlete and you know it was it was kind of like kind of the opposite of my intention and now now it's like no one even bats an eye um in my sporting environment um but I do think like the more people I know in the LGBTQ plus community or or any community really it's like how do we just see them as a human being, you know? And like you said, like just value them as a person and not see all these, um, you know, these boxes that we put people in, especially when it comes to gender roles. Like I remember when I was a kid, I was like playing with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I was like, all I cared about was hockey. I collected hockey cards and I was obsessed with all things that were boy things, you know? And there was no like non-binary, like I didn't even know what that meant until like, you know, a couple of years ago. And I'm like, I wonder how different my life would have been if I wasn't just always like, there wasn't just these two categories that were just so, um, so stiff, you know, but I definitely think language and, and I can speak to, you know, playing with the Orlando Pride. We are all becoming very, very conscious of our language. And even with the Canadian national team, like how many times do I say, come on guys, or, you know, I'm trying to really change my vocabulary to like just gender neutral all the time. And I definitely think it starts with language. I remember when John Herdman, and we talk about this all the time, the first time he said, you know, if your partner wants to come to the game and I was like, okay, like, you know, I knew immediately that I was accepted. So I, I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, and, and like bringing it back to, to mindfulness, who kind of talked about it last time. I know self-compassion takes, uh, a big role, but when we have all of these pressures on the outside, has mindfulness helped you to be more authentic, to be more yourself? Yeah, I think it actually, it's interesting because it's all about choosing where we put our attention, right? And I think that 
especially through mindfulness, I've been able to objectively look at my thoughts and objectively look at emotions and that kind of stuff um, in a way that I hadn't for a long time. Because I think that there are some thoughts that I hadn't given attention to, you know, that I needed to, you know, it's like sometimes I think we picture it as like having too many thoughts and we're giving too much attention to too many thoughts. But sometimes we are not actually acknowledging thoughts that require our attention. You know, you talking about the non-binary and like all these things and saying, how would your life have been different? Like for me, realizing like kind of growing up in the environment I did and even like working at the, you know, religious institutions, like kind of realizing how much I had, um, I don't know, narrow, like basically narrowed my, my, what I allowed myself to even spend time thinking about objectively, you know, in my own life, like, and feeling that I had carried like a pretty huge weight for a long time because, you know, non-binary type things were not a conversation to be had. Right. And it was not like something that you could say, like, man, what is this whole gender role thing? And like, why are we, you know, expecting people to fit into these? You know, you're kind of just living your own life, but it's not a conversation that you feel like you can have. Yeah. And where I feel like that's something through mindfulness that I've been able to step back and be more objective about and, and really kind of think through for myself and feel like I can be more honest with myself on that stuff because of mindfulness, you know, and that just self-awareness of emotions, thoughts, all of that kind of stuff. Totally agree. I mean, I think we could do an entire session on how mindfulness like helps you become more objective. I think, you know, talking about like the whole awareness thing and and when you start to realize (laughs) that your brain is just making meaning out of almost every situation or if, you know, a, a, a skirt is too tight or your pants are too tight and then you're automatically like fat and all these things and it's like the skirt is just too tight but it's like we make it mean something horrible or good or bad and and I think objectivity kind of gives you this beautiful element of choice and once you kind of realize what you know all the facts are you can then proceed in a way that is authentic to you you know but I think unless you kind of can step back and see that um, you know, you're kind of like blindly letting like the emotions and your overthinking kind of like run the show. And I think that's what I love about mindfulness. It's kind of like, it's kind of like taking your, your power back essentially, you know? So, um, I guess, you know, you talked a lot about self-compassion and the relationship with yourself and, and your authentic self now, how do you continue to, to grow that? I mean, I think, you know, I read a quote the other day that like, if you if you can't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. And so I guess uh, I've started to put more and more attention into that relationship. So it sounds weird to say, how's your relationship with yourself? But but how is your relationship with yourself and how are you growing that every day? Yeah, I think you're so right. And <clears throat> we uh, we oftentimes think that it's selfish to think about loving ourselves, right. you know, like, or yeah, it's, totally. it's really arrogant or whatever. You know, but you're absolutely right, because oftentimes, you know, we project how we feel about ourselves onto other people. And so if we feel good about ourselves and we feel proud of who we are, then, you know, that's something that we then can even have that space in our attention box to be able to be giving to other people. And so I think for me, it's about, you know, living true to to my ethics is a huge part of it. Um, and so actually have am no longer teaching at the institution I was at because of this struggle, you know, that we talked about earlier. Right. So because of really trying to be 
uh, true to my ethics and be able to be this person that, that students and athletes could come talk to, but then really realizing how much of myself I was having to, you know, kind of dampen or mute um, to be able to be in that environment. So I actually, as a part of my ethics and having to say like, hey, I want to continue to be true to myself and so that I can encourage other people to be true to themselves because if I can't do it, how can I expect them to do it, right? So right. I'm actually, uh, you know, did not sign a contract for next year with, with the institution I was at. Um, and, you know, that can be kind of scary for people. But I think a lot of times being willing to embrace things that might feel a little bit scary in order to be true to yourself. Because at the end of the day, you know, like if you're not true to your ethics and you're not, you know, growing as, as far as like who you know yourself to be, then you're going to regret it down the, down the road. And it only increases stress and anxiety and, and, you know, again, like wanting to be an example, empower other people is empowering them to say like, hey, even if something can be a little scary at times, like it's going to be worth it versus, you know, not staying true to your ethics. I think that um, there's also this um, pressure and maybe I want to say it's because of Canadian, I'm Canadian, but I'm not sure that's it. The always wanting to like please others. And I think this is where I've grown a lot. And like being, of course, you can always be kind to others. But, you know, sometimes in life, we have these people that maybe uh, they were wonderful at a time, but they're no longer like serving you. The relationship's no longer serving you. And, and, you know, I know that both you and I have always a lot on our plate and we say yes to a lot of things. So like in that aspect, like I know you talk about sometimes people think it's selfish, but I think that's also part of the struggle is when people recognize, like, are you good at recognizing I need Rachel time? You know, I need this so that I can be better. Like, is that something that you are intentional about in, in your daily life, in your week? Yes, absolutely. And if you're an Enneagram person, I'm an eight. So you would uh, not be surprised <laughs> that I have no problem saying no. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but yeah, I think I'm very in tune to what I can handle and when I need a break. And, you know, sometimes... Sometimes that's not always possible. Sometimes you're in the middle of something and you're like, man, I need a break, but I do have to push a little bit further to finish whatever this thing is. But I would say I'm very in tune. I have a, a pretty solid structure as far as, you know, basically in my day, if at all possible, which is, you know, most days, by the time dinner time hits after dinner, then I take the, the evening to kind of recharge, you know, with whatever that looks like. And I'm very protective of that time. I really, you know, sometimes there are things that have, they have to take that time, but that's, that's a recharge time or even planning. This hasn't happened during COVID so much, but planning, you know, <laughs> vacations or trips or, you know, like to be able to uh, just recharge. Cause as you know, we, we had the opportunity to come see you a lot when you were over playing in Europe. And that was always a huge recharge time for me because it was so different from my regular life, you know? And so um, since COVID, it's been, you know, when the weather is good, getting on a SUP board and getting out in the lake, you know, getting out into nature is huge for me as far as clearing my brain and just, you know, breathing, enjoying nature. That's a huge recharge for me. So I would say that I am good at it. There's definitely times where, you know, you get stretched and you're like, ah, you know, I, I don't, I need to, to finish whatever it is I'm doing and get that recharge. But I would say I'm, I'm quite in tune to that and make that a regular part of my habits. Well, and I think that's huge, right? Like for me, that's the self-compassion bit. And when you can put time aside so that you can be your best self. And we always talk like, it's always about being your best self, right? I think at the end of the day, you want to be a high performing 
person, not just in sport, but like in everything you do. And I think in order to realize that, um, you know, and I think it's kind of ingrained in our society, like college, you're burning the candle at both ends. You're like doing sports, you're doing, you want to get straight A's. And it's kind of like, especially in the US, it's like, go, 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 go. There's kind of no stop button, but it's those moments where you step away. Like you said, cutting off at 6 p.m. every day, like your brain can then be more efficient during that time and then and then relax. So it's like actually better for your health. It's better for your brain. Um, but even like relationships, I think like what you said, like when we're stressed or in these situations where we are not at our best self, like we become this like monster. I know I can become a monster sometimes and and you're not being authentic. So in that way, I think the self-compassion part is so important. And just like you said, like being intentional about making time. Cause I think we all have, like, I don't know about you. I have my triggers when I know I'm getting stressed. I become a bit more snappy. I'm irritable. Like we've, we've got, you know, you know, you're like, Oh God, it's coming. The monster is coming. Emily Rose is in the house, you know? So I think it's just like recognizing, like, you know, we've talked about recognizing what your triggers are, knowing when you're getting close. And, and instead of waiting to get to that point, like how can you kind of be proactive to make sure that you don't get into a place that you're not proud of, you know, back to the ethics and values. Like you never want to get to a, a place where you're acting in a way that doesn't align with you. One more thing, because I think this is a pressure that like didn't exist when we were kids, you know, like it was hard enough. Like I got bullied like crazy. It was hard enough to like grow up as a kid because kids are so darn mean, you know, but now there's this whole other like social media pressure. And I, I think um, for me, it's, I go back and forth, you know, like it's like a love hate relationship. So what is your advice, I guess, for people who are just trying to live an authentic life, be themselves? What is your suggestion around social media? Yeah, I think, you know, the easy answer is like no social media, but that's just like saying no cell phone right now in life, right? Like it's a part of right. our, you know, our society. And so I think it comes back to that objectivity and, and self-compassion. And it, you know, it's the same with anything. It's what's your purpose, right? Yeah. You know, because if your purpose with social media is to see what everyone else is doing in a negative way, as far as comparison, then yeah, it's not going to help you at all. If you, you know, are looking at, oh, I'd like to keep up with my friends and what are they doing? And oh, that's super cool that they're doing that or whatever. Or you want to use it as a, a positive platform or whatever. That's outstanding. But for so many people, it, it is that uh, that comparison issue. Right. And so my recommendation is the, using that noting. Right. Going into it, saying, like, right. if I note that when I see something, I start comparing myself, then uh, that start that's a, actually an opportunity to practice that self-compassion and to practice that changing that narrative that's going on in your head. Um, you could actually use it proactively, right? You could use it right. as a tool to help you improve at these things. Um, but it's really, it's just, just like with anything, it's how you use it and, and what you allow your brain to do. I mean, I think too, what it really speaks to is, um, you know, I call it like a highlight reel, you know, it's like all everyone's like high points. And I think, Sometimes in society, like we deal all the time with stress and anxiety, but like, I think society, like when we look at Instagram, we're like, everyone's life is easy and awesome. And, and to, you know, to really look at your life, 85% of the time, it's like, it's struggle, it's hard. And it's kind of like masking, like what the truth is, you know? So I think that's kind of the, the other part of it. Like, um, and we talk about this all the time about it's, it's okay not to feel great. 
And that's what I love about uh, mindfulness. And we'll get into this when we get into the emotional um, episode, which will be fantastic because we're, you know, I'm a very emotional being, but I think just, um, you know, recognizing that it's okay to be down and it's okay not to feel great and it's okay not to feel on this high. And I think that's the one message I, I think is always really misleading in social media. And, um, you know, I know both you and I, we've had so many situations where we, we've had to go through it and, you know, you just kind of have to sit with how you feel and, and move on to the next thing. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with social media. I think I'm, I just feel so grateful that I didn't have to grow up with that. On the other hand, I think now there's more and more representation of, of different walks of life. And I think that could have been helpful for me as a kid. So it is, you know, focusing on, I guess the good things, you know, I'm, I'm following change and all these other places where I'm like learning just about all the social injustice in the world. And it's like, you know, it's an exciting time in history, but using it in a, in a positive way and, and where you put your attention, obviously. Um, okay, just to wrap it up, do you feel today like you are that kid in the photo? Did you say grade nine? Uh, no, it was seven. Grade seven. Do you feel like you are that same kid now? Uh, I mean, at the core, as far as like, am I just wearing what I want and, and have the hair I want, do what I want? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's something that... Um, I think over, you know, if you look at the last 20 years, funny to say 20 years, right? Because I'm old. But over <laughs> the last 20 years, um, I kind of have gone in these waves of like, you know, how I let myself be seen by everyone else, you know? And again, there's always an element of me, right, right. but not full of me, you know? And I feel like now, like if I, you know, I'm looking for clothes or whatever, you know, or shoes or what, I just don't care. Like if I like it, I'm going to get it and right. I'm going to wear it. I don't really care if someone thinks it looks feminine or not, or if I'm the only, if, you know, if I'm somewhere where everyone's wearing a dress and I'm wearing pants, I really don't care. Right. Right. Like, so I would say a hundred percent. That's awesome. And it's like the most liberating thing. You just feel like, like you said, own it, you know, you're just owning it every day. Thanks for joining Rachel and I on this episode of Three Sides with Erin McLeod. For more information about The Mindful Project and the different programs we offer, go to themindfulproject.us. Or you can email Rachel directly with any questions at rachel at themindfulproject.us or myself, Erin, at themindfulproject.us. Thank you for your presence and for listening. Today's episode was presented by Bet Online. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. 